Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to V'ger, Please, a painful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. I'm Joseph. I'm Peter. And, and Peter, we're doing this just one day after Valentine's Day. And in the spirit of that, I'd like to, before we go into hate, to offer some love. Can we do love? A small amount of love. This isn't going to violate any sort of uh, charter or contract that we have signed with internet? No, no, fortunately, um, because it has to do with our very uh, first, I, w- I would call them friends of the show. So Sarah Graves and Ian Paxton were kind enough and generous <laughs> enough in spirit. You're a dick, dude. We don't even use our own last names and you just <laughs> called them out. <laughs> They participate on our Facebook page, and they, they they're genuinely big fans. Oh, so I want to give they them out it themselves. Yeah, give them full attention and full props. They came through for us, Peter. They came through on your request. Our our listeners will have already heard it by now because I attached it to the uh, the episode uh, that just published. But we got a a shitty recorder version of the Voyager theme, thanks to their musical talents, and I'm happy to say. That Sarah and Ian's first musical uh, collaboration as a couple was the creation of our podcast theme music. We're bringing people together, Peter. We're bringing people together. I'm being driven away, man. My my green-eyed jealousy swelled up at me. These people with real artistic talent, I can't take it. I told them, uh, you know, do it shitty. I heard it. I'm like, wow, that's way better than probably my best could have been. And they're like, yeah, that we we did it on the first take without any editing, just like you said. And I'm like, I think for it to really get any worse for you guys physically, it would require you to polish off a bottle of tequila first. So <laughs> I appreciate the effort that these two talented people put into trying to make themselves sound as bad as I had hoped I could sound. Truly, their worst was better than your best. And for that, we thank them. Thank you, guys. Uh, and also thank you to everybody else that's been sharing, uh, liking, and commenting, uh, particularly on Facebook. Really appreciate people being into the show and telling us uh, what they like and what tips they have for us and, and otherwise just kind of getting involved. That's part of the fun. Yeah, and sticking through us through our while we knock the rust off our uh, podcast skills. It, it's been a long time since we've been behind the mic, and it's certainly the game's changed, the production quality expectations have changed, and we're trying to keep up. <laughs> you know, we I, I was going through, now that we're on Spotify, which I think is really cool, we went down to Cancun, and I was sitting there listening to my own podcast because I thought you were doing a really good job with uh, drops and, and other little fun stuff with editing. Uh, one of the episodes I noticed we kind of come off, I think it's what, episode three for us, uh, some machine gun dialogue, and I was curious what was going on there, and um, and Joe let me in on a terrible secret. I, I didn't, I wanted to let you down gently because you're on vacation, but y- you have, I would I would call them uh, endearing vocal tics. Valley girlisms? Uh, valley girlisms, and uh, I I do my best to clean it up so that the Peter that's presented to the world is you know, the best version of you. D um D liked D ud. So uh, we're making a, a conscious effort on our end to keep uh, the conversation smooth and without those annoying little, I don't know, lazy uhs and likes. It, you know, vocal tics are, are part of the recording life. I appreciate everybody sticking with us, and you know we're we're 
knocking the rust off, like Peter said. We'll get better. My editing will get better, and we'll move forward. Speaking of uh, sticking with things, here we are. Uh, Season 1, Episode 5, The Cloud, which right off the bat I think is going to tell us the the lazy kind of shit we're in for here. There was a dramatic thunder as you said the name of the episode here. It might even have showed up on my mic, which... Uh, considering the quality of the episode is perfectly ominous. My wife very very nearly walked out on watching this with me uh, probably three times. It's terrible. It's god-awful. But I enjoyed how terrible it was. Did you? And I can't wait to talk about it. It's just so... Previous bad episodes we watched have either been bad in a, a boring way, bad in a predictable way, or bad in an infuriating way. Offensive way. This is just bad in a hilarious way. So it's it's we've completed we've used all parts of the bad buffalo. You know with this and and I I I loved it. It's Thursday. I want to say I watched this thing on Tuesday and as I'm sitting here reviewing my notes and getting ready for the show like I honestly had to really really sit there and think about what the fuck this episode was about. That's how boring and just non-memorable it was. To me I think you just watched it tonight, didn't you? Yeah, I just watched it a couple hours ago. I watched your own. I got home from my, my real boy job. And it's three B-plots masquerading as an episode. I think I know what they were intending to do with this. Uh, this was intended to be a let's get to know these characters type of vignette episode where we have these different situations that everyone's in and we're learning about them. Mm. But instead of it seeming to be connected to an overarching plot, like say... A great example of that kind of episode, Lower Decks from TNG. Oh, wonderful. This just this just feels disjointed and somewhat pointless, mildly racist, uh, mildly, all kinds of gr- very mildly. <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's 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 get into this. We start with a. a oh, hold a, on! Before before we jump into it, some this broke off of a pattern that I've been seeing out of these Voyager episodes. Up to this point, I feel like. You know, going back, listening to our own work, we talk so much about the beginning parts of the the episode that by the end, we're just kind of like speeding through stuff. I think the writing style so far has really front loaded all the kind of character exploration, um, personality, experimentation, that kind of stuff in the beginning of the episodes. You know, they go real heavy about here's the continuity of the story so far and the stuff you care about. And then you get deeper in the episode and it's just dungeon crawls and, and and kind of boring fluff this one they somehow managed to make all the fun stuff the boring fluffy dungeon crawl uh, attention waster i don't think anything in this episode works and the problem of the week is the most generic sci-fi problem of the week of all time in fact it's generic even just in star trek uh, in fact isn't this in some ways a complete rehash of the very first episode of tng so we get an open scene where Janeway is contemplating the necessity of her to be more than a textbook Starfleet captain. An exploration character-wise that I think is worthy, but they don't spend too much time on it. She kind of does it at the very beginning and then we get a little bit at the very end and that's basically it. She's going around the ship. She's doing this personal log about how she has to connect with this crew now that they're essentially the only community of men, as she puts it, uh, it within a, a billion light years. 
and she's struggling with it. She's kind of awkward. She doesn't know how to interact with people outside of her military uh, organization professional distance. And you see this physically. You see this as she has an awkward conversation with Tom Paris and Harry Kim at the, in the lunchroom. She's working through it. You can see her work through it. An interesting idea that they don't barely do anything with by the end of the episode. The only really interesting part to this whole beginning exposition was when she just casually strolls through engineering and uh, Bellana Torres, who has been nothing but a raging bitch so far, is suddenly like completely caught off guard and scared. I mean, you would think that someone just walked in on her smoking in the girls' room or something. Like She's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, Captain, I didn't know, uh-uh. Now all of a sudden she's real timid and afraid of Janeway and Karis, and this is like the same moment she was just telling to, you know, fuck off two episodes ago. Yeah, two episodes ago she was assaulting her coworkers. Now when the captain comes by, she's like, Oh boy, he's so Gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it, there was some some weird stuff that happened with uh in terms of these character moments. We'll get into the psychology of Harry Kim in the not too distant future that that left me cold. They start shitting on uh, Neelix in that little lunchroom scene too, didn't they? They're talking about his cooking and that it's it's basically making everyone sick or it's impalatable. And Tom Paris don't give a shit. Tom Paris is telling me how it is. This food sucks. I liked that they, you know, again, I'm, I'm following the story arc of the replicator situation on the Voyager. So in this, now the replicators they've acknowledged work, which... I guess the cat's out of the bag when they're talking about replicating fucking alien lungs and stuff from uh, the last episode, Phage. But uh, now they're saying that, you know, Neelix's contribution to the ship is that he helps conserve replicator energy, Uh, which at some point I think someone should also jump in and said, yeah, so he's responsible for conserving replicator energy and, you know, necessitating uh, us coming into contact with fucking uh, plague-ridden flesh thieves. There's a, a, a distinct lack of gratitude expressed by Neelix throughout this episode. Uh, he's he's trying to uh, pressure Janeway into not replicating coffee, which I guess is the first time we get introduced to Janeway's uh, addiction to coffee. Mm. She gives a great bitch are you for real look to Neelix when he attempts to countermand her deciding to go get coffee. And uh, introduces uh, her to his alien sludge that's supposed to replace it. Look like melted uh, Tootsie Rolls. I was going to say poop, but Tootsie yeah. Rolls works. Janeway clearly does not find that appetizing and beats a quick retreat is the moment she's given the opportunity by a page from, from Chakotay. Heads up to the bridge and it turns out they've come across what looks like a nebula that has potential energy sources in it, which Janeway is interested in so she doesn't have to drink Neelix's distilled alien poop juice. Have we come to the conclusion that the sentient spacefaring species of the Delta Quadrant essentially prize the same raw materials that Starfleet does? It it makes sense with what we've established in Star Trek up to this point anyway. Uh, because... All of the spacefaring species you see in the Alpha and the Beta Quadrants in the mainline shows 
all use the same resources as well. So there seems to be a level of universality to spacefaring species. So, I mean, we we just saw that the, uh, what were the phage dudes called? The the Vidians. The Vidians. I mean, they were lured onto that planet by uh, trace or heavy signals of uh, dilithium, right? That is correct. And inside this, uh, this nebula, they were picking up, what, uh, large amounts of antimatter? No, I forget the technology. I think so. Deuterium, whatever, energy shit. Stuff, you know, for replicator fuel. Right. You know, right off the bat, I see like, oh, hey, look, here's uh, some much needed material seemingly out in the open. And I'm like, oh, great. Another honeypot episode. (laughs) Uh, Well, they they sense the magic um, space juice that's going to make their 24th century space magic work and decide to... um, to explore it, to investigate. And before we get into the investigation scene, we have a, a our journey down our first B-plot road. And that, that B-plot road is Chakotay's magical Indian powers. Jesus. Holy fucking shit. I f- completely forgot that this was a subplot in the first season of the show with the Chakotay... Indian magical powers shit. Do you think Robert Beltrain, who who is the actor for Chakotay, like did did he bat an eyelash at any point in any of this and just go, This is this is garbage. This is kinda like exploitation of my heritage and uh shoehorning this crap really is not cool. What do you have you ever seen Parks and Rec? No. Hmm. There's a great Is he in it? No, he's not in it, but there's a great episode featuring uh, an Indian tribe that lives in the area that Parks and Rec takes place when they exploit the ignorance of white people in a hilarious fashion. And if it had been something like that, where where, where Chakotay is, is selling Janeway a, 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 a bill of goods, I would, have, uh, I would have enjoyed it. But it's done with this earnestness where... She is just super into the idea of having a spirit guide, this animal companion spirit guide. And Chakotay is selling this to her like, yes, you you too can have Indian magic friends. Allow me to to take you down the path. There's two conversation tangents I want to go on off of really the, the Chakotay Janeway thing here. The first is religion. And was this the 24th century? Correct. Have we ever seen any mention of Catholicism in a next-gen property? I don't think that up to this point, any religion has ever been invoked aside from the Bajoran religion and similar native spiritual beliefs we laid in TNG and then occasional alien beliefs uh, on one shot, alien races, um, as as episodes dictate. There has never been an exploration of human religious belief like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, anything like that. I don't even think it's we're, we're talking about an exploration. I'm talking about just simple acknowledgement. Yeah, I agree. Not even an acknowledgement. So, as we, uh, the viewers, would best be able to tell, in the 24th century, there is no major religion. Like, science has replaced 
the church for all intents and purposes, right? It would seem that at the very least, religion is no longer an active guiding force in anyone's life or a major motivation. I would say that they probably steer away from it because, you know, politics and religion are going to get the most uh, heat from people complaining about it's being done wrong and this and that. The fact that they're dragging his spirituality and essentially his religion into it makes me feel like um, the writers did not consider this Native American stuff to actually be a real religion so much as like a, a hokey voodoo m- magic dust. Janeway treats it that way. She has this look on her face like, mm, tell me more. I couldn't tell if the look on Janeway throughout this episode is one of like just someone's desperate for human contact and she's really feeling alienated as part of like this uh this captain's protocol so she's willing to just latch on to any cockamamie nonsense to for the the sake of human contact and and the more i'm watching specifically with this and like how she overacts all this stuff i'm thinking in my head I'm like what if she's just trolling chakotay what what if she's just <laughs> That's what it felt like she's just fucking with you she's like yes Oh my gosh, I'd absolutely love to go down this uh, Mr. Toad's wild adventure with you. Yeah, yeah. Like, how how far can I get this? Oh, you're going to bring out your magic medicine bag and all this? Sure. I I, I love the, ooh, I, I bet you a spirit animal is a bear. I'd, I, if, I'd have paid cash money if Chakotay said, that's what they call my dick. Like, <laughs> anything other than what we got would have been better. Yeah, so she's, you know, they're, they're laying out this uh, animal talk bullshit. And uh, if religion is the first thing that this episode made me think about, the second one was drug use. And uh, <laughs> what uh, what flies in the Federation? You know, they've got Syntha Hall where you can drink alcohol and not get dangerously drunk or whatever. You don't really see anybody smoking cigarettes. You don't see any heroin addictions. I don't believe anybody's doing crocodile and having their leg rot off in a bucket. <laughs> So where has the Benevolent Federation and the United Federation of Planets d- decided to, or start, Starfleet really, you know, military installation um, or complex, where have they drawn the line on? What do we consider uh, an addictive drug? Again, you're not seeing cigarettes. It's bad to the health. It's got this addictive property. Why, why allow coffee? Huh. That is a fantastic. I, I don't even know where to go with that because you're right. You would think that there is uh, probably some rules about what you could and couldn't do, but as you, uto- you, man, like it's also a utopian ideal. You can create anything. So it's like replicators don't let you get that quality H. You know, I can't get that black tar heroin out of there. Like the reason I bring uh, it up is is later in the episode, Chakotay goes deeper into this uh, this magical spiritual journey. And he's oh yeah, they do twenty fourth. They do twenty fourth century peyote. Yeah, yeah, he's like he's like you know we used to contact this uh, the animal in the spiritual journey with uh, with uh, psychedelics, but now our Indian hocus pocus scientists have come up with a I don't know some sort of table vibrator you land your hand on and that and that does it. So <laughs> so if his religion has steered away from from drugs, like everything is so drug averse in the twenty fourth century to the point where Native Americans are steering away from like. We are steeped in our deep and rich traditions to the point where it has survived into the 24th century. Uh, except for the way that we get to those uh, those deep traditions, we've replaced it with uh, with science doodads. But so so he's cut you know peyote out of this magic bag. Yet this terrible coffee is still there, bringing addiction crazed 
Starfleet captains to drive their ships into the belly of the beast, literally. Okay, so two things. First, I, I want to dive more into this medicine stuff. Let's just let's just do a full exploration. Okay. And then and then I'll give you the answer to your question at, at the end. I All think right. I think what the answer is. So later on in the episode, just to follow this B plot to its conclusion, Chakotay shows up in Janeway's office while they're all on duty, by the way, mm -hmm. like doing work. Yes. And he's got this he's got this cheap felt like blanket. He unravels his medicine bag, which he's never shown to it's his it's his special it's his special Indian magic stuff. Hold on, let me stop you right there. This bag, this magic medicine bag he has, it's like I don't know. It's probably about the size of two college textbooks together, right? Right. This doesn't look like something that just fits on your person, right? Right. So where'd this fucking thing come from? Because correct me if I'm wrong, didn't all the Maki have to like emergency transport off their fucking hoopty ass ghetto firebird? We know that Chakotay went back to suicide bomb the the Kmart Klingons uh, mm -hmm. hoop, space hoopty. So maybe he like just grabbed it on the way out, like while he was waiting for his beam out. So he just he just had that shit tucked under the glove compartment of his of his Trans Am, you know, just pulled that shit out and waited to yeah. pull pulled off. It's the, under the, it's under a Saturday night special. Eventually, I want to get back to that Maquis ship in a later episode and talk about why, if you're stuck out in the middle of nowhere, jamming one of the two possible ships to get you home, uh, needlessly throwing away might have been a bad idea. But I guess we can get to that later. So yeah. So he, he pops this, he comes in with a, oh, hey, I know you're working, but uh, that, like, he's desperate, too, to push this on people. Like, usually people tell me just to fuck off or roll their eyes when I tell them about my spirit animals, but but you've shown even the little bit of interest. He's, like, busting out, like, full Mormon recruitment mode on her. I, my wife said, is he trying to recruit her to Scientology? This is what this feels like. This feels like he, she, he's about to audit her and give her a pamphlet mm -hmm. and... and suggest some classes i mean it's it it definitely feels like a, a recruitment move but they all while they're on duty he rolls the stuff out and he's got his little indian magic doodads in there along with the space peyote janeway's wide-eyed with her what i want to call sarcasm yeah with that sort of fawning oh how exotic kind of look mm -hmm. like ooh, so exciting wow so, what mm. rich history now, every other time I've seen any mention of, like, finding your spirit animal and, like, this deep, inward, introspective spiritual journey, it's taken, like, characters in any other sort of media, like, at least a five-minute montage, if not longer, to, to come to term over a course of days and some really grueling, hot, sweat box antics, right? Right. How long does it take, Janeway? Oh, we get about thirty seconds of of swelling music and a little a little sultry narration, you know, from from Chakotay. Yes, listen, and... listen to the sound of my voice, Janeway. Yes, feel feel your animal companion. Feel that you're in this place now. Now feel feel my dick while you're high on this peyote. Yes, yeah. yes. Give me. No, that there's no peyote. Vib there's just a hand vibrator. And then, boom, like that, she sees the salamander, and she is, like, completely reduced the Native American spirit adventure process to, like, what had to be at least 30 seconds, and she is just in it. Yeah, and suddenly meeting her magic spirit guide, who she cannot name, lest she offend it. Yeah. 
So this shit is real. It's not just her subconscious. And then what it's happens? Just, it's apparently a thing. And then what happens? They get interrupted. Again, the lack of fucking security on this ship is astounding. She's like, oh, I should have had the computer set the doors to do not disturb. How about you set the fucking doors to lock? Well, it might have been. It might. We don't know. They might have overcome the door lock block because Balana doesn't come in until she is bid to do so. Mm. She just rings the doorbell. That's what interrupts it. Maybe I had a timing off. You know, Chakotay knows that this is a rare opportunity for him to get someone into his his weirdo cult. Indian cult. Yeah. Yes. So he made sure that door was locked on his way in. You know what? Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna go he- expanded headcanon here for a second. I'm gonna say that none of this stuff is real, and that Chakotay is actually uh, brainwashing people with some sort of mind control device that they need physical contact with. That's why he doesn't use peyotes because we'll say that this isn't real. Native American spirituality, right? This is Chakotay is running a cult. He ran a cult back on Maquis vessel. Balana being the raging bitch she was, was managed to break free of the cult. And she is key. She, her eyes are open. She knows what's going on here. And she's intentionally cock blocking Chakotay on this recruitment because uh, she doesn't want Janeway falling down that hole. I love your headcanon about these guys because it makes them feel like actual fringe terrorists Mm -hmm. who have dark ulterior motives, Mm -hmm. which they probably should have been. But since they're not, I like I like where you're going with this, that they're just slightly incompetent, but genuinely bad people. Yeah, but Bolana does legitimately say, yeah, fuck this shit. I I tried to punch my spirit animal and I told Chakotay to shove this cult up his ass. Was there anything else really uh, to this spiritual journey of sarcasm and... uh, drug replacement convenient drug replacements that was the end of it but the answer to answer your question as to why the whole drug thing works the way it does and i think it explains why this exploration of this incredibly insensitive and racist exploration of indian spiritual beliefs happens is because the things that are on the show are what's inoffensive to white people particularly in the 1990s Mm. you know so talking about real religion, a little too, little too risque for network TV, for Star Trek, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about Indian stuff because it's neat and exotic. And uh, we don't want to show people doing real drugs or getting drunk, but, you know, coffee's fine. You know, a little tea, you know, a little Earl Grey hot. I go crazy without my coffee. I don't have my, uh, my uh, pumpkin spice latte. I'm willing to fly into a dangerous nebula honeypot. I don't put much stock in a lot of the, the social fights of the day, but it feels right to say that you have to look at the people who made the show and the people who are consuming the show, and then suddenly you think, this is probably what they think would be okay. Back to the bridge, you know, back to the beginning of the episode. They, they find this uh, this honeypot nebula. Kim makes an off comment like, wow, I've never seen that before. And I would say the coolest thing to come out of this episode is the fact that uh, Tuvok uh, hits the com badge on his chest. And it like manages to like send Harry Kim like a personal message. Yeah, like it's it's real quiet just to him. Like like uh, directional audio, or whatever. And he's basically like, "Chill out, you're acting like a bitch, and you're embarrassing us." Can we talk about how intensely weird and terrible Harry Kim is in this episode? Can we can we do a full exploration of all of the weird Kim shit? I have written down Kim is a real bitch. I, I think that's going to sum up my stance on this thing. Like, yeah, it's it's a real man boy episode for him, isn't it? 
we we see him after his little he gets a little sassy with Tuvok as they're exploring this this nebula and and then Tuvok's flummoxed later and he like tries to throw it back at him but he does it in the bitchiest way possible. That's what prompted me to write that he's a real bitch. He's lucky Tuvok didn't come over there and pinch his ass. He should just slap him right five fingers to the face. I mean, yeah. he was being just a a little little bitch about it. And then what's the next shot of Kim? Laying in bed with a face mask on with his... With like his... a robot. He's like straight as a board, hands at his hips, like toes pointed up, and this face mask on in a lit room. He's got his, his doughy Asian boy face, you know, with his silky hair framing it all with his with his mask on and he gets this intense music in the shadow so you don't know what's about to happen and then all of a sudden we see it's who tom paris who's waking him up in the middle of the night i want to go right back into the complete lack of fucking door locks like paris b and e's into kim's fucking quarters and like starts touching on him while he's sleeping (laughs) like at least at least tom paris says i learned that shit in prison at least Tom Paris says, yes, I broke into your shit. Like, that's what I did. Now, come on. I broke into your shit with the intention of jerking off on your face. And as we used to say in uh, space prison, quote unquote, glazing you. But now that you've woken up and taken your little mask off, uh, let me show you my nasty sex dungeon holodeck adventure. <laughs> so we, we get But before we even get there, Harry Kim has this. I don't know who wrote this. Who fucking wrote this dialogue that they're walking down? He's trying to justify why he wears the mask. And it's like, oh, we had this guy who was an insomniac that I was in the academy with and I got used to it. And then he says, it reminds me of being in my mother's womb. And then he like steadfastly claims that he remembers being in his mother's womb. And Tom Paris just gives him his look like, dude, what the fuck are you telling me this? I do not want to know that shit. There's some shit you never want to know about someone. You don't. Oh, yeah. my, my God. So Kim laying there like a fucking robot, right, with this mask on uh, was creepy. And I'm like, who sleeps with the mask on? And that, I even got my notes, like, when, when these walk around, like, yeah, why why do you have a mask on? They start going on, oh, you know, I had this genius uh, workaholic. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's that's a good setup with Chekhov's gun. They're giving you a little bit of background. I'm like, awesome. That's that's a good use of that, uh, that mask prop. And then, yeah, they throw in this fucking thing about the woman. It's like, too far too far what? somebody somebody somewhere in the mid 1990s was in a in a script writing room put a put a, a dot at the end of that that paragraph and said nailed it i mean what the fuck but we get through that so that tom can bring harry to the the kind of hollow program that only tom paris could design a cd french fuck den that he apparently patronized at length when he was in the academy. So reportedly, I don't have any, you know, hard evidence that this is the case. And he hasn't just walked, you know, Kim hasn't just walked into a pure object of fantasy. Uh, this was, this was fucking gross. This scene, <laughs> you know, him. So, so he walks him in, it's this French bar and immediately these holodeck robots come up and start like, pretty much putting their hand down his pants and like jacking him off. Like two different girls are up kissing on him. There's like these smarmy ass dudes coming up and, and, you know, talking about how great he is this and that by today's technology standards, 
what Paris did to Kim was say, hey, dude, come out of my room. I want to show you something. And then Kim and Paris walk into his bedroom and on his bed is Tom's collection of fleshlights. This is my, this purple one. Her name's Judy. I go real fast with the pumps on this one and this blue one. Well, this is Rose. I go nice and slow. This one comes from a long family that's owned the like, dude, I don't care what your nasty uh, hologram fuck bots are. I don't want them coming up and kissing me after they just kissed you. Like what? you broke into my fucking bedroom in the middle of the night. I got to work in the morning to show me the, 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 the holograms that beat you off. This is you don't want to hear about me in the womb. I don't want to hear about you in her womb, dude. This is gross. This is no. He's he literally brings him to his porn. Yeah. This is his porn. He says, Hey Harry, come to my porn with me. And we can engage in the porn together. It's interactive porn that I've programmed. To, to be my personal J.O. fantasies. And it was so important that I broke into your bedroom and started touching on you to wake you up. It's so creepy. Shit. Creepy, creepy, creepy. Oh, it's, it's, it's like his personal fan fiction. Yeah. All the women want him. All the men want to be him. Yeah. It's... I'm going to say he's worse than Barkley. I mean, Barkley's was creepy, and this is also creepy, but there's something where Barkley had this psychosis to what he was doing that was even creepier. Where Tom is just like, I'm a pervert and I don't care. Who knows? I'm alone in the Delta Quadrant and I have only my fleshlights for company. And, and yeah. something about it is more natural and understanding than Barkley's weird I'm making fleshbot versions of my coworkers. These uh... are at least... These are at least potentially fictional creations. Barkley had the common decency to keep that shit private, whereas Tom Paris is essentially kidnapping and dragging people into his filth. He's showing it off. Let's fast forward to the end, since we're talking about this stuff, right? Yeah. We get the scene where where Tom invites Harry into his porn, and they have a good time experiencing his porn and we get to the end and uh, Harry encounters the captain, in the turbo lift and Harry gets the nerve up that he didn't have at the beginning to say, Hey, if you want to, you want to, ha- you want to have a hang at some point, uh, you know, we can hang. Hey, I heard you listening to uh Chakotay's bullshit cult sales pitch. Uh, you might be desperate for some human context. So let me offer you an alternative to Chakotay's uh, Cutco pyramid scheme yeah why don't you come with me to the holodeck we're all going to engage in tom paris's porn fantasy together and you you get you get a shot of the bar this this french bar it's supposed to be this it looks like it's from the 17th century but whatever and it's the whole senior staff is in there Mm -hmm. everyone is now involved in tom's J.O. Fantasyland. Everybody is in there touching the things that Tom has sex with. Yes! They're all taking turns passing around his fleshlights and his lube and his his old magazines. 
And the captain comes in and gets hit on immediately by the dirty French gigolo character that's there. The French alien gigolo character. So boring with, you know, yet another ridge on the forehead. Like, why not just make it a dude, a regular dude? What? Tom's like, oh, I'm sorry, Captain. I'm sorry that that this ansel- this this guy who watches while I fuck these fake French bots hit <laughs> on you. I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, it's fine. It's part of the charm. Let's, uh... Uh, let's uh, let's play this this quaint this quaint billiards game that you've got going here with all with yeah, with all your, your you. semen stained electronic friends. This seems like something that <laughs> I, the captain, am going to engage in. Uh, so part of this uh, this holodeck thing, jumping back in on the technology, they they spend a pretty decent amount of time trying to get Kim drunk. Kim saying like, "Hey, I, I don't want to drink wine," and then it's. Uh, it's too early or too late at night at something. And they go back and forth. Well, you know, the wine's not really going to get you drunk because. So is holodeck food not real food then? Like I always was under the assumption that the holodeck just incorporated replicator technology. So if you sat down in a holodeck restaurant and had a steak that everything's a hologram, but the steak you eat is, you know, legit. This is making it seem like it's a it's a holographic steak. So it'll still stay together in your mouth and then. I, they have weird weird Starfleet tech questions. If I recall, I'm gonna go super. I'm gonna go super deep on some Trek nerdery, but I think I have the answer. Please Here do. it is. I'm going deep dive. Do you remember the Mortyardi episodes from TNG? Yes. The second Mortyardi episode was the one where he's trying to affect a escape, essentially from the holodeck. That's the one where he recreates a ship in the holodeck and tricks people into thinking they've left, right? Right. The ship in the bottle. So he creates that puzzle. And there's an explanation that's provided to him during that from Barclay that where Barclay explains that matter created in the holodeck doesn't have true uh, cohesion, right? It's not real matter. And I, so I don't think it's replicated food. It's like replicated matter is real matter. It has cohesion. It's been created to look and be that thing that it was replicated to be, whether mm-hmm. it be a steak or a medical device or whatever. What I believe Barclay was saying in that scene is matter here, whether it be steak or a medical device or whatever, isn't have the same level of cohesion and substance that uh, replicated matter does. Hmm. And that is a consequence. That's why it's impossible to take him off of the holodeck using the transporter or whatever, because he, like all other matter yeah. on on the holodeck, isn't real. It's just light bound by a magnetic field. Sure. I know anything you take off the holodeck ultimately dissipates. I just, I guess I was always under the impression that intentional consumables were actually replicated. So I don't recall ever seeing a scene where people summon up food in the holodeck and consume it. Hmm. I think there's been scenes where people are eating on the holodeck there is no confirmation that that is not necessarily food brought in from outside of it. Mm. So uh, this, I believe, is a question that has never been completely answered. Yeah. But using that that tiny bit of minutia from that TNG episode, I think you can rule out uh, food from or 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 alcohol from the holodeck yeah. having the same level of substances as even replicated food. Fascinating stuff. Hey, people at home, you still awake? Huh? We're, we're going to go back to saying shit and fuck now. <laughs> Jacote's dick. 
It's, it's bear. This is Chakotay's Tom Harris tried to tried, tried to rape people named Harry Kim. <laughs> yeah, He's t- a night stalker. T- Tom Tom has really uh, violated a lot of workplace work, workplace ethic rules in this episode. Fuck ethic rules. Dude. Like he violated personal space rules. Anyway, so that 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 whole nasty parade of sex toys uh real real oddball element to that episode wow we're like uh 42 minutes in we haven't actually even talked about the main plot here there wasn't one (laughs) that's the thing it was all just little side plots so we've really talked about a lot of the episode just by banging out the weirdo b plots that happen around the other weirdo b plot uh that forms the core of the episode and that's the the space conundrum which is this spoiler alert the nebula is not really a fucking nebula. I know. I'm sure yeah. you're shocked. So they fly into this nebula looking for their antimatter, and they run into you know all sorts of resistance because it's like white blood cells essentially attacking them, and they only manage to get out by breaking out one of the, what they have 37 quantum torpedoes. Is it quantum or photon torpedoes? Photon torpedoes. They only got 37. Chakotay's like, hey, shoot some of the torpedoes off. Janeway's like, no, I want to save it for the last thing. They use a torpedo, they fly out, and they barely get through. In the process, you know, they flew into this thing to get more gas for the ship. As they escape this uh, nebula, they lose 11% of their energy reserves, which I would think is okay. You just took a black eye over your fucking coffee. Maybe, uh, Maybe you learned a lesson. Nope. They want to fly back in. In the middle of all of this mess, my big takeaway, and I would say the strongest point of the episode for me was Neelix, who is a super curmudgeon towards all of this. And it's like, says what I've basically been saying, uh, you've got this perfectly great ship that can get you guys home at a reasonable speed, theoretically. Why are you going to sidetrack into every fucking hazardous situation you possibly can find like why go out of your way to just routinely endanger this crew and like that's his words verbatim and i just fell in love with snarf snarf at that exact moment (laughs) he he shows a distinct lack of gratitude towards the people who just got done saving his life oh yeah totally And, and hypocritical too let me chime in on that he's over there condemning these people for you know wandering off and being reckless and straying away from the intended goal motherfucker you did that exact thing you wandered off from the away team mission you willfully disregarded chakotay's direct orders to get back over there you got your fucking lungs stolen by flesh ripping zombies for your explorer spirit now everyone else is fucking stupid you know like he's like every oh they're idiots like Bitch, who's the idiot from last week? You're Mr. Gung-Ho about being part of the crew and being part of the Explorer team. Now, if, they had, if he had said, like, I got my fucking lungs stole out, the galaxy is dangerous, yeah. <laughs> fuck all this, I'd have, I'd have been 100% with him. Like, you and bravo, I, yes! You and I uh, have a, a unique, you know, viewpoint on all this stuff now since we both only have one lung. We should be very careful out there. But, uh, you know, I, I appreciated his condemning... Um, speech and I also like the fact I've always thought you know in Star Trek especially uh, Next Gen you got all these windows in in Next Gen you know you've got this huge civilian compliment on this crew like how terrifying as you explore these dangerous neat regions of space I'm talking before about like you know all the deep space horrors that they hide from Starfleet cadets anybody looking out the window is going to see like 
God knows what. And and this was a cool episode where Neelix just looks out and like, uh, what the fuck is that outside the window? I've never seen that before. It doesn't look safe. It looks like we're being attacked by white blood cells. Uh, I'm going to go tell the captain what's up. I do like that he gets a little uh, time to statutorily rape his child bride, who has a nicer wig now. Oh, yeah, much nicer or, wig. Or maybe they're using her real hair. I, I don't know. But it was a marked improvement. Yeah, her squire's hair is gone. Um, so, you know, they shoot this photon torpedo. They fly out. I'm going to tell you, this is the first time I think I've ever watched like a Star Trek episode. And like, I genuinely and honestly hope I'm like, God, I hope this episode's just over. Like they seem to resolve the problem. I haven't been watching. <laughs> I don't know how much longer is going on here, but I hope this is just over now. Nope. I was, I was on the edges of my seat waiting for the next ridiculously offensive thing to happen. I was like, are we going to get another scene where we talk about Chakotay's magic Indian powers? Or is it going to be more Tom Paris trying to recruit people to come to his, his J.O. fantasy? Which is it going to be? I'm so excited. No, instead, instead we get Janeway treating the doctor like a robo-slave. She calls him up during this adventure with this nebula, which turns out to be a living being that they hurt with their little intrusion. You know, once again, they punctured a hole in something and they got to go fix it. Yeah. Space police force paramedics. Uh, There was a good exchange between um, Bolana and the doctor where she goes in to get some consultation. And man, he is just set to maximum sass. Like when she's like going on, like, Hey, here's my train of thought. And I think it's like something about peptide bonds. And he's like, and you were doing so good. I've been like, motherfucker, what did you, uh, <laughs> I will delete your ass. I will reformat you right the fuck now. He doesn't give a shit and he's treated like garbage by everybody though. So you can see why he's probably not giving a shit. Janeway literally like waves her hand and, and silences him when he's back talking her she pulls oh. Q parlor tricks out on him. It's just like, and, and you get this background acting from Robert Picardo while he's on the view screen, like being pissed off and then like waving his arms when he has something to say. Like, no, no, turn me back on. I, I can solve your stupid was, problem, you dumb fucks. It was impossible to concentrate on anything in that scene other than him in the back view screen. Like, I don't know what the fuck any of those people said. They might as well just been sitting there like running their fingers over their lips like because they didn't matter. It was it was all about him in the background uh, stealing the show. So so good on him. And another cool doctor moment I thought was that he knew so much excessively about his maker for what the EMS is supposed to be or the EMH, this disposable doctor, the fact that he has like full knowledge of his maker and the design process and all that seems like a waste of like storage space and, and computational power for him. So I thought that was uh, interesting that he was so well-versed on his own program history, I guess you'd call it. Believe it or not, you touched on a detail they're actually going to follow up on oh, a yeah. few times. Yeah. And, 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 and in a couple ways that ended up – one episode in particular that's early that discusses the Doctor's limitations in programming I think is very good. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. The character you always have to compare him to is essentially Data because both are ultimately uh, AI systems. And, you know, it's one of those things that always makes the concept of Data seem dated, like, you know, this robot that has white skin and yellow eyes because the maker couldn't get him quite right. When You know, you've got real dolls out on the market now that are dead ringers for humans. And and now to more to the point that, you know, the doctor's uh, personality seems so much more robust than Data's uh, just makes it seem dated but uh you gotta give you gotta give a little bit of leeway to a show made in the 80s 
Oh yeah, of course, and, and you do, and it's you know it's it's always hard when you're dealing with the future to not let the the evolution of real life science and technology not just shove you with both hands forwards. I think at some point they said like how big the Enterprise D's data core was or something that was like very doable by today's standards. I, I, don't they use like gigaflops or something like that or gigaquads or some? Oh no, you're right. That's right. They they made something they made that's something just a complete yeah. unquantifiable. That you're you're right. You're right. My bad. We get all of the plot technobabble that the nebula is alive. We heard it. We've got to go fix it. It's boring as fuck. We get a, we're going to endanger everybody's fucking life, and we're going to fly in there. Most of the time, it's just let's pass the dialogue stick from character to character to deliver the next Technobabble line. The only bit about this main plot I liked was the scene when Neelix shows up in Janeway's office after they've made the call to go back in to patch up this hole mm-hmm. they put into this thing. She, she, he wants basically to get off the ride before they go in and endanger themselves again. And Janeway mm-hmm. tells him, fuck you. You're sticking around until this one's over. In fact, she's like, I think she says, like, Jonah and the Whale, you're going in, and then tells him to leave. It's it's the only scene in the episode where Janeway seems to put her captain hat back on and doesn't take any shit from anybody. The rest of the time, she's way too eager to be everyone's friend, which I guess is the point that she's trying to find the happy medium between being the dispassionate captain and being the community leader. But uh, because she's so... She plays it as so weirdly awkward. Let me go ahead and ring the Maquis bell again. Uh, you have flown into a dangerous unknown. You know, the reason they gave is coffee, but in, in you know, realistically, they're going in there to get some uh, space gas, which they legitimately need. You get your ass kicked in there. You don't get what you were after. And in the process of barely escaping, you lose 11% of your storage energy. Uh, you get out and you look real hard at the situation and uh, and for the right reasons. You know, she says, I want to know what in there, how I was able to circumvent every uh, defensive system the Federation's most advanced vessel had. Great idea of weaponizing your environment. You know, that's exactly what I said about the phasia. If you've got walls that can reflect phasers, you better fucking coat your ships in that stuff. Exactly. You find out, oh, okay, we made it have a boo-boo. And then you get the idea you're going to fly back in and try and play Space Doctor. You went in, you got your ass kicked, you lost energy, and instead of just cutting your losses and flying back towards home, you know, like Neelix says, you want to go back in there and roll the dice again. Like, again, the Maquis, these space terrorists who aren't Starfleet really and, you know, are scrappy space dudes. No, the, the mutiny thing just keeps coming up in my head. At what point do you fucking pull Janeway out of command and say, look, you are endangering everybody needlessly, repeatedly. You are not fit for command. You need to get the fuck out of here and just space her ass. If they had bothered to explore that at any depth, it would have made for an amazing show. And wouldn't you know it, Like, I think we have charted out how you would do it. It's not like this would have been our big reach. They've set themselves up to be able to tell the story, and they they don't really. Um, Seska's stuff is the closest that we get to yeah. anyone having those feelings. And they basically, the way they end up othering Seska to, to justify it uh, means it doesn't have much impact, and obviously we'll address that when we get to those episodes. But it's dumb. It continues to be dumb. Your headcanon is way better than anything they've come yeah. up with, but... 
what is there to say about the rest of the episode? They I got they, a couple things to say. I got a big honorable mention here. This episode, when they fly back in, the ship starts getting knocked around and fucked up again. We get our first bonafide dude engineering falling off a glass catwalk. Oh yeah, we do. We get some solid space turbulence, and we get some we get some stun work. That space turbulence is way better than the initial like flight across the galaxy. This dude falls at least. 18 feet and i'm like fuck yeah man that guy just got launched like what a huge osha compliance risk that is like there's not proper banister work up there at all and then what i love about it is um it's another instance of uh, kim getting called out like a bitch uh you know they're like damage report and kim's like uh everything's fine and then chakotay's like no uh the optics are fucked up too and like just needlessly dunks on kim <laughs> but they, they chime in they're like uh no reported injuries like excuse me some dude just fell like two stories onto like the hard ass engineering deck unless he's like a, a magic species that has like you know pointy ears and a ridge on their nose that's made out of fucking rubber and just bounce back up on their feet i think there's at least one injury down there and then of course probably the lowest point of the entire uh episode was uh you know their red alert and and that some dumb shit were like They've essentially rolled out the space. What, what's the word I'm looking for? The xenophysiology, zo, cryptozoology. Is that like unknown? Yeah, cryptozoology is the study of like Bigfoot and that sort of thing. So yeah. the space equivalent of that. Yeah. So the alien nebula physiology, cryptozoology, jump to conclusion, medical guide, where within. Uh, five lines of dialogue they've completely like anthropomorphized this nebula to a living system with a circulatory system and all this other crap and they're gonna use you know it's blood capillary system to like whisk themselves whatever some cockamamie bullshit and it's a pretty tense moment they're like oh we don't know if we're gonna be able to help this thing and ultimately escape without having to like blast our way out again or, or bad stuff it's a red alert situation red alerts flashing the lights are dimmed down and what happens? Neelix and Kess just roll up into the fucking bridge with like Spanakopita or some sort of like. Greek... <laughs> they come. They come with 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 hors d'oeuvres. They come with with appetizers. They they're rolling in like they're at a fucking wedding. Yes. Like ah, oh, I see our hors d'oeuvre uh, services have started. Please help yourself. Like no operational security at all. These fucking crazy space people you picked up just walking anywhere they want there's no security on the bridge like would you just like a mind people? you know here and... you go in the middle of your <laughs> spatial crisis would you would you care for uh, some of our cheese plate would you want to hear my stupid reasoning for being here like oh come on neelix you really had my my you're tugging at my heartstrings with like your critical thinking about why to stay the fuck out of uh, dangerous areas and now you've just rolled over and and given up and and playing along on this like, i thought it was a pretty strong scene for neelix and it was amusing but it was just stupid that's the second time where like completely completely inappropriate behavior takes place during work hours the first time was chakotay trying to get janeway high for her five minutes spiritual voyage. <laughs> and then and then him busting up in there during the middle of a you know space emergency to give people swedish meatballs the episode wraps on the on the space you know space entity being healed they're out like 20% of their energy and yeah dude and then they, they 
they it's, so it's a big L. They take the they they take the L, and they rap at the at 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 the the Tom Paris sex fantasy cruise, mm-hmm. and that's it. That that that's where they leave it. There's one omission you made that I thought was strong enough to mention here. When you know they have to find out, I, one of those stupid like we'll have a casual conversation and something you say will trigger my you know my moment of genius to figure out how to correct this. Who, who's Janeway talking about where she starts going on about dogs? Oh, so Paris. Well, well she yeah. So she's on the bridge, and that's when um, we 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 heard in the pilot that Janeway has a dog. <laughs> so we we know that about her character, and so they're. They're talking about the whole suture plans, and the right, doctors. Right, right. The the doctor suggests, of course, use a twentieth century medical analogy to describe mm-hmm. what they're going to do with the ship to fix the problem. Blah blah blah. Doesn't matter. And they use a probe. They shoot a probe off, essentially, to distract yeah. the creature's immune system. Fluffy so, bullshit. The the, the, the line yeah. she says is like, "I had a dog. It wanted to bite me when I tried to fix its wound. I had to distract it." She leads into it, and the the line jumped out to me because she she's talking to Paris, right? Correct. She's like, you like dags? And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's I like, love the same line from, yeah, from Snatch, absolutely. That's a, that, that needs to be the title for this episode. You like dags? But, I'm sorry, Captain. Are you, are you talking about that 20th century uh, movie Snatch? Sure. I like dags. <laughs> but for what? The Germans come? Oh, no. What do you need that gun for? The Germans? <laughs> Just such I a. That movie's amazing. Unlike this fucking episode, I'm glad you had such a good job uh, time walking oh. around the ship. Just a completely forgettable like snore. A, I was of like a pig in shit. It was just so bad from beginning to end with so much weird shit in it, and then just ends. It ends with the big L. We go back to the Tom Paris sex den, and and everyone's just having a good time. It's ha 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 ha. As the ship goes out, it's like, everything's fine. We lost 20% of our shit. We're all kind of standing around in Tom Paris's dried up semen. But we're all fine now. It's fine here. Well, I just lost a fifth of the ship's energy, uh, needlessly. Oh. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have a weird sex encounter with this spiny head faked alien that my my former convict break B and E artist, rather a, a, a helmsman, created on the holodeck. And we're all gonna enjoy together because apparently the 24th century is one big fucking swinger party. Yeah, man. It's. Uh, I think. I think this episode did more detriment to like legit character development. Like when you really look deep on like a lot of the stuff, you're like, I don't think they were really going for a lot of the take-homes that you got out of this episode. This might have been a step in the wrong direction. You can see what they intended to do, and you can, and it just, every beat was bad. The only, the only, I liked one scene with Janeway where she's given Neelix the business, and I liked everything with the Doctor, because it builds on his curmudgeonly, I am a footstool that does not enjoy how you're putting his feet on him kind of personality, Everything else, and, I mean, the Tom Paris stuff is so weird and so strange. I loved it, but it was also bad. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked Neelix real talk and some stuff that I've complained about frequently, and uh, and I liked the you like dogs, dags. <laughs> you like dags? dags? Sure. Oh, you mean What's dogs? Next? Yeah, sure. I like dogs. What's next? Uh, the next episode is Eye the, of the Needle, which is a pretty good one. So we are gonna we're gonna swing back to quality. I have a about time. Two steps in the wrong direction here. I need something good. 
yeah, it's had a rough time of it the last the last couple times out, so this will be refreshing. I have, a, I have an adventure to tell you about. I went on to Reddit. Oh, yeah? And I asked them a question that Which came subreddit? from our discussions. So I went to the star, the main Star Trek subreddit, mm. and I asked... Man, that's a hey, corner of the internet I've never been to. I never even thought to look into Star Trek. Oh, this, and these guys... I mean, you think you and me are Star Trek nerds? Oh, no, I, no, no. I, I know I goddamn out, well we are... We are we are drops in the bucket. There's there's vistas of autism that we can't dare <laughs> to dream of. And so I posed to the Star Trek subreddit, hey, I'm doing this podcast. A friend of mine and I are going through Voyager. Do not invite blah. these people to our podcast, Joe. No, not not doing that. But I, what I did ask was, we have consistently brought up how Voyager, is, as an Intrepid-class starship, is supposed to be this exploration vessel, yet seems to be entirely unprepared to engage in exploration <laughs> and um wait before you give the answer on that i want to say this episode did have another good throwaway line which and it proved about- part of my headcanon yes i was about to, t- to mention that yes it proved my they didn't have his counselor because it was they were on a bounty hunt for some uh, fucking reason but yeah so, so I, I, I told you i fucking told you that part of the reason why they were staffed the way they were was the mission frantic retconning I think if they had thought in advance to say something like that, they would have just as soon killed the counselor off. And I think that's an answer they could use for a lot of things when they encounter problems with, we need thing X, we need a person with Y skill set, they're not there. Hey, they got jettisoned into space when the hull got ripped open and we got fucked up in the jump. They, you know, got knocked off a second story glass bridge and broke their neck. I, I like that the... The reason why they're unprepared is that they were on a bounty hunt. I think that's a perfectly why would you put your uh, well? That's just it. I asked the subreddit, so why is the ship bad at exploring if it's an an exploration vessel? And not almost immediately, I got a reply from someone who says, actually, there's lines of dialogue in a future episode where Paris talks about the ship's capabilities as one built for combat, not exploration specifically. And I, I, I expressed wonderment at that. And I said, well, I thought all the apocrypha, all of the, the techno manuals they talk about intrepid-class starships being built for science and exploration. They can defend themselves. They're very advanced. But like any Federation vessel, it's multi-purpose. And these in particular are like smaller exploration-oriented ships. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you are correct. But the show's not very well written. And... In Paris has specific dialogue where he says this was a ship built to fight. It was not um, built to to explore. To that I say, why did the Kmart Klingons give you a run for the money then? Why did you sacrifice one of the two fucking vessels you had to serve as Noah's Ark to get you guys home into crashing into the Kmart Klingon school bus and caretaker Picote, you fucking asshole. The answer to that question is because the show isn't very well written. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, anyways, along those lines, uh, along the lines of flying twice into a space monster, as Neelix put it appropriately, uh, and losing 20% of your fucking energy stores over coffee, uh, I give you the third Ferengi rule of acquisition. Never spend more for an acquisition than you have to. They overbought on that coffee. They, they went for the Kona blend, and they did not get their money's worth. Mm-hmm. Neither did we. We'll leave it there, sir. Um, this has been a V'ger Please, a hateful voyage through the 
Delta Quadrant. Please like us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, uh, locate us on iTunes. We're on Google Play Music. We are on Spotify. Give us your feedback. Uh, li- I want to know what you guys are thinking, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. We're sitting at right now a min- an hour and seven minutes. You guys think these podcasts run too long? Drop us a line. Let us know. Hey, I'm looking for the 30 to 45. Uh, if you're like me and you just leave this thing on during a long car ride, we'll keep going this length. Yeah, give us feedback. Give us feedback on every aspect of the production, and and we will certainly take it to heart. We, we're doing it for us, but, you know, we're doing it for you guys too. So let us know. Follow us and engage. Um, so I'm Joseph. Engage. <laughs> I did it with my fingers too. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. All right, this is Peter. And thank you for listening to Vija, please. Uh, very hateful voyage. Very, very exceedingly hateful. <laughs> Through the Delta Quadrant. Peace. Voyage. All right, bye.